You are listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, a Canadian guide to building dependable wealth. Join your hosts, Richard Canfield and Jason Lowe, as they unlock the secrets to creating financial peace of mind in an uncertain world. Discover the strategies and mindsets to a financial future that you can bank on. Are you ready to make a financial change in your life and take control of your own money? Well, there's a system you can implement that will do just that. Head over to wealthwithoutbaystreet.com forward slash masterclass to register now. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of Wealth Without Bay Street. Uh, joined here today with my amazing colleague, Jason Lowe. And of course, we have a special guest, someone Jason and I have been trying to get on the podcast for a while. We're super pumped and excited uh, to have him here, including his uh, incredible Mises images in the background. We've got with us Carlos Lara, who is the CEO of United Services and Trust Corporation. Uh, it's a management consulting firm, uh, been in business since 1976, based out of Nashville, Tennessee. They do capital formation, corporate trusts, uh, debtor and creditor relations, a business crisis counseling. He's a turnaround specialist for businesses that are in trouble. I mean, he helps them restructure and, and get back into business. He's really a ninja at that. He's also the editor of the Lara Murphy Report, uh, which is a special online publication uh, dealing with Austrian economics and, of course, Nelson Nash's infinite banking concept, what we like to talk about here. Um, he co-authored with uh, Robert Murphy the How Privatized Banking Really Works back in 2010, which is a fantastic book we encourage everyone to get. And he also co-authored with uh, Nelson Nash, uh, David Stearns, and Bob Murphy, The Case for IBC. Jason is holding that up for anyone watching us on YouTube. And uh, of course, he is one of the co-directors and uh, uh, founding members of the Nelson Nash Institute. Um, he actively sits on the board. He's involved in all the interviews with uh, any uh, advisors looking to join the program. He's an all-around unbelievable guy. He's one of the smartest guys I know, and we're honored and excited to have Carlos with us today. Welcome, Carlos. Well, so so much uh, to say to you two guys. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Carlos, uh, we're beyond excited, and we really appreciate you, you know, committing some time from your busy schedule. Thank you so much. And one of the things that uh, we, we have been discussing with our listeners is that, you know, dealing with all of the uncertainty that's in um, in the world right now, and being that it's, uh, you know, we like to say it's day 649,222 of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, you know, many people, understandably so, when they're first exposed to doing something different, that they're, they're asking questions like, well, you know, with the current state of affairs out there, why is IBC still the solution to the problem? And so, Carlos, could you maybe just share some of your wisdom and your insight on your viewpoints of the current state of things and why IBC remains the solution to the problem? Well, I can approach it this way, uh, two ways, actually. On the one end, there is no question that... Um, you know, we have been inundated by immense surprises since this uh, crisis developed. Um, and so I don't mean to say uh, the wrong things about it because I know a lot of people uh, are still very fearful and they're still wearing masks. They're doing all these things that they're being uh, told to do. And so um, the, there's definitely that side of it. And I, and I want everybody to know that I, if, if, if you're an individual that uh, is at least old enough, like I am, you know, you're probably one of the, the types of 
people that is more susceptible to get something like this. All right. 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 But you might want to ask, why aren't you afraid? <laughs> and, <laughs> and the answer is, I'm not. I'm not afraid. And um, and I don't know what it is exactly. I, I can tell you this, that Robert Murphy and I, we began uh, telling people back in 2008 uh, when we had our, our tremendous crisis then. We began at that point uh, warning people that the Federal Reserve had only set us up for an even bigger crash the next time around. And so we began to write articles and in all of our publications and um, anytime we made presentations, we, we would remind people that the next crisis was gonna be worse than ever. And we kept saying, this is probably gonna be the biggest financial crisis this world's ever had before. And so we started in with that so long ago, guys, that uh, honestly, I guess people got tired of hearing us keep repeating that same <laughs> song and dance, you know, but we wouldn't budge. Right. We would not budge from it. Uh, we kept warning people. And obviously we had our ways to help people get ready for that crash. And we, we laid out some uh, important things that people could do. And uh, we spoke about those in, in particular too. So I just, I don't mind saying that uh, when we started things really getting out of control with uh, uh, the financial markets, um, things were actually getting sort of crazy. Bob and I saw the window and we began saying, this is it. We're, we're just about there. Right. And then we even went as far as to tell people, okay, get ready. It's going to be this year. Mm. We, we basically said it'll be this year. And, um, and sure enough, it was, yep. it happened this year. Now, <laughs> What, you know, anytime you have a financial crash, it, it gets triggered by something. It never fails. I mean, something triggers a crash, some sort of an incident or something. Right. But we had no idea that what was going to trigger this thing was this this pandemic thing. Right. It didn't really come up in the conversation in February when we sat with one another at the think tank. It was people were talking about it, but we hadn't hit that uh, epic catalyst event yet. It was still early in February before a lot of these shutdowns took place. And so even at that event, it was people were talking about it, but not to the level that they're talking about it today. Well, and Bob was saying he was commenting about, you know, in and around August, we were going to start seeing some telltale signs of, you know, not only are there storm clouds on the horizon, but uh, they're now right on your back porch. And so, you know, things are about to get pretty, uh, pretty bad. So anyway, it, it was, it, it, you know, so when it happened, it happened and it happened basically the way we thought it would happen because it was major and we're not over with that, that part of the crisis. I mean, there's still all kinds of problems going on there, but um, we had no idea that a pandemic would, would set this off. We kept seeing that it just wasn't a localized thing. It was worldwide. Right. How does something like that happen? 
And because it just seems so eerie and strange that, um, you know, for, for the reasons that we're always wanting to inform our, our listeners and uh, uh, people that listen to us and read our books and talk to our authorized IBC practitioners that uh, our role is to try to get to the bottom line of things. And um, we've been doing uh, more and more research and uh, we're beginning to notice uh, a change now. Uh, It's not in everybody, but a lot of people are starting to realize that, yeah, there's something strange going on here, you know, and, and, and truly there is. So um, hopefully you'll have a chance to read the next uh, article in the Laura Murphy report, which will be out probably next week. Both Bob and I actually yesterday when we were sharing what we were writing, Bob was saying, I can't believe we're almost mirroring each other in what we're going to say in our next, in our next article, which are their long, long term articles too. I mean, they're, they're uh, in several parts. So um, look for that one in particular, because there's, in, there's new information that has come out that a lot of people are just not aware of yet, and they need to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, to answer the question is that, why are we still feeling good about IBC and that that's still the solution? Well, it's because it still is the solution. <laughs> it absolutely is a solution. And uh, we've known that IBC was a solution for a whole lot of what the Federal Reserve's central banks do to to us. And uh, the only way out of it is to practice privatized banking. That's the way you break that spell because they have a monopoly on our money. And uh, and the way the only way you can break that spell is is privatized banking. It reminds me so much of what Nelson shared with all of us so often that the process of banking goes on no matter what is happening and that your money must reside somewhere. So what, what better place to have it reside than here? And for, for all of our listeners, you know, Carlos mentioned the, the Laura Murphy report. We will in the show notes, we will have linked directly to the Laura Murphy report. You will thoroughly enjoy uh, subscribing to that. Um, It is every time a great read and so we we definitely want to share that with our listeners and also uh the, there will be a link uh directly to the nelson nash institute which we would highly encourage listeners to visit the website and get um, a glimpse into the essence of the institute and its its mission and uh, all the great work that uh, this community of authorized infinite banking practitioners are doing to what Carlos, um, you know, says is creating the 10%. Could you expand on that, Carlos? Could you talk about the vision around creating the 10%? It's just so powerful. One, and I think it's important before you jump into that, Carlos, like to just share with our listeners that, you know, in my conversations with Nelson, uh, really he, he isolated that your role, your specific role in the recognition and understanding of that we can do this, that that this 10%, this tipping point idea that you're going to speak to us on stemmed from you. You're the one that was able to really quantify and isolate that in discussions with him. And he was so, um, it was something that was very important to him. So I know you and I have talked about it in the past one-on-one, but I really want our listeners to understand that, that the impetus of that 
really stems from you and your conversations with Nelson and Bob and, and how we might go about affecting change. So with that, I'll turn it back over to you to talk about the 10%. All right. Uh, well, gosh, I know that uh, this book, I, you can see this, right? <laughs> yeah. For, for our listeners online, he's holding up how privatized uh, banking really works. And the subtext there, I'll, I'll get you to read the subtext uh, for us as well. It's a great read. Integrating uh, Austrian economics with the infinite banking concept, if I remember correctly. That's exactly what it says. And if you'll notice at the very top, it has this little thing and it says privatized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> privatized banking. So this book became a favorite for Nelson in particular because Nelson, uh, he knew a lot of the things that were discussed in this book that he himself never had an opportunity to write but he knew about these things because Nelson was an Austrian going way back, long time ago. Yeah, he, his mentor was Leonard Reed, which was also a great Austrian. Nelson, uh, when this book came out, Nelson just really loved it because he, he felt like finally, you know, we can really address this thing where it needs to be uh, addressed. And, um, you know, the, the Austrian School of Economics, I would say, are, are the, the individuals, all of them, the different people in that, in that organization go back many years. They begin thinking and calling this thing um, the sound money solution mm. is the way that they would describe it in their own words. And they referred to it in, in, uh, in three planks. And the first plank of the sound money solution was that um, we should link the dollar to gold. But that's one of the first things that needed to happen was link the dollar to gold. And then if you did that, immediately would take away inflation if you just did that. And then the, the third plank I'll, speak, I'll, I'll skip over from the second to the third plank. The third plank that the Austrians would talk about was to get rid of the central bank. Basically, with the idea, you, you don't need the central bank. They basically wind up costing the government more money. And so if you just got rid of the, of the central bank, in our ca case in the United States, it's called the Federal Reserve, well, you would, uh, you would decrease the expense that we're expending now to have them on board. And uh, it takes you uh, into more savings, which is very important. And uh, with more savings, uh, you have more investments. And so it all goes up in the right direction. So the idea was to, to, to get rid of the of the central bank, remove it, because they have a monopoly on our money. And we know from we know from Nelson's teachings that the the life insurance carriers cannot inflate the money supply. Exactly, exactly. So the second plank, as the way the Austrians describe it, was privatized banking. That term exactly, and privatized banking was a way to break. The, the that spell that they had over our money right and so um i hit on that idea of the privatized banking aspect of it back when i first met bob 
because Bob, you know, he, he was very involved with the Mises Institute and he's an, he's a, an economist on top of that. But what he was doing is that he was going around the country trying to sell uh, a solution to the problems we were having, you know, with us not having any real true liberty and money. The way he was trying to convince people is the same way, like for example, the Mises Institute continues to pr promote it, which is we just need to keep spreading this message and that eventually, you know, people will get it. Yep. And I, um, I was on the other hand, was going to commercial banks and I was uh, trying to have conversation with command commercial bankers to show them exactly what they were doing. And I found out that they didn't even know what they were doing. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. well, they, you know, they've been doing what they've been doing for what over a hundred years. Yeah. So these people are just, the way it was through, yeah, they're just going through the motions of being bankers, you know, that's all. So for me to have discussions with commercial banks, no, this is what you're doing. And I would show them, you know, exactly what they were doing. They, they, they themselves couldn't believe that that's what they were doing. It's almost like they're saying, well, that's terrible that we're doing that. And I said, yeah, it is terrible. So this is what I was doing. And, and so uh, what happened is several, several bankers got together and they put me on a speaking circuit. So now they've got me going around the country talking to other commercial banking bankers about this this the situation that I'm letting them know that they're doing the funny money system. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's about the time that I got, I got together with Bob because Bob was, uh, had written a, a book by, by a famous Austrian and, uh, and I was wanting to learn more on that piece. And so I found out in reading the book that Bob lived here in, in Tennessee where I was. And I didn't know it. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't know who I was at that point. So we got together and I began to talk to Bob. Well, first of all, I showed him a copy of Nelson's book. That was one of the first things I did. I said, Hey, look at this and tell me what you think of this. And so I'd gotten to know Bob pretty well. Uh, and, and he, he was reading it, but the truth of the matter is he, he didn't like it. He, did, he couldn't relate to what it said. But um, he kept coming back to the book because I kept insisting. I said, well, have you read enough of it to tell me what you really think about it? And eventually Bob did convince himself that, no, you know, there's, there's something here. That my problem, he said, is that I didn't know what, how life insurance worked. Right. And that was the truth. He didn't. Well, when we got done with that piece, IBC to, to him became, okay, I can understand how this can work. But he wasn't like overwhelmed over it and sold on it. He, he wasn't seeing how it really related to him. And so um, he, was, um, he was over at my house uh, one day and, and I said, Bob, I said, look, what you're doing and what the Mises Institute is doing, I mean, they're great people, I love them all, but you'll never get to where you're trying to get. Mm. I mean, and, and, and he was just sitting there listening. And I said, uh, if you look at the sound money solution, Bob, 
and look at those planks. And I mean, can you not see that the key is privatized banking? And I don't know what happened, guys. I wrote about it in this book. I don't know what happened to Bob, but Bob says that it hit him like a sledgehammer. Hmm. All of a sudden, the whole thing just, it just hit. And he got it. Yeah. And not only did he get what the, what the Austrians have been talking about, the sound money solution, and especially privatized banking, but he also got the connection that Nelson was trying to make with IBC. Right. And so that's, uh, that is what really uh, got us going on what really needed to be happening. I said, Bob, what we really need to do is use financial professionals to do this, not academics and not, you know, not, I mean, we need, we need financial professionals. These are the people that deal with people about their money. The problem we have is that most financial professionals don't understand how money works. And uh, yeah, they don't understand how money works. And so what we need is to get not all of them, Bob, just 10% of them, of those financial professionals and make sure that, that not only understand IBC, but they understand Austrian economics. Right. You know, that's it. If we get 10% of those guys, which is the cream of the crop and these people get trained, they, they will spread this message where it needs to be. And so that's moved us a little further down the line. And, and Nelson the whole time is listening to all this. Right. And so, uh, uh, and so was David, of course. And so um, we started uh, putting in more pieces together to all of that. And obviously, every time you you take out a loan for a commercial bank, you're just adding to the problem. You need to quit doing that. You know, you need to use IBC for that. You know, we would just make that known to people. And so um, bit by bit, the pieces came together and, and then, of course, that led us to the program that we created for financial professionals so they could learn how to do this. And uh, from there, we moved from just having a, a distant relationship with Nelson and David to one more formalized. And then eventually we moved from where we were calling it, uh, you know, one thing, we moved it over and just called it the Nelson Nash Institute, you know, he was actually the founder of IBC. <laughs> and so uh, we need to reduce it down to, to where the bottom line is. And so that story of the 10% is, uh, is a very powerful story. There is a, an institute in um, New York and they did a study. Uh, this is several years ago. And they, they, uh, realize in doing that study that if if um, if ten just ten percent of the people, you know, hold an unshakable unshakable belief, and they're not they're not moved from it. They just have that belief that it eventually will convince everybody of that belief. Oh, that is so, so powerful. It is very powerful, and of course, there's several examples of that in history, and of course. The most powerful one, of course, is, is Christianity. Absolutely. I mean, this is a little group of people that were just talking to each other and everybody thought they were nuts. <laughs> but they they changed the world. 
Well, and that's where it all started for Jesus was in the marketplace. That's right. (laughs) That's the truth. So the 10% is, is, is a powerful motivator that everybody needs to, you know, get to understand that we've written several articles on it. I'm probably not going to pull out everything all at one time, but there's a lot that we have developed on the 10%. Oh yeah. So, um, but it's powerful and it's going to win. There is no question in my mind. It will. Here, here. What's, what's wonderful about that with the Nelson Nash Institute and the formalization of the practitioner program, the training that you've created between yourself and Bob and David and, and, and Nelson, that foundational material is 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 focused on the uh, the, the Austrian economics, of course, but really it's it's interlaid throughout the idea of building the ten percent. It's it's subtle, but it's inclusive within all of that material. And as you are interviewing people, because you're appro- getting approached regularly, people are booking meetings with you guys to try and look to join. The institute they want to become a practitioner and, and i would imagine you're getting an increased level of responses on that and as you're interviewing folks i'm assuming you're having conversations about that with them is this a foreign concept to those folks do you find or are they really gravitating it to it right away when you start talking about the 10 percent? you know what they love it i mean it seems like they i don't know how quickly they they're catching on but i never tire of hearing people say, hey, we listened to our, your podcast, we listened to this, we read your book, we did this. And he said, I, I'm for the 10%, you know, and, they, and so they, 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 they go to it. They love it. They love the concept and it, and, and it, because it's a powerful concept. It really is. I want to share a funny story with you, uh, Carlos. I got a message late last night about uh, a, a gentleman on Facebook who's an advisor who had actually met with Jason, I believe, earlier yesterday or the day before. And he reached out to me to connect. And I kind of didn't know the individual, so I sent him a private message. And he uh, he just indicated, yeah, I spoke to Jason. He told me about the Institute. I've got a meeting book with the board of directors. He was really excited. And he identified just how it felt like it felt like home to him. Felt like this was the missing piece. This was the thing he had been looking for in his life. And he didn't feel, he felt like something was out of, you know, as Nelson used to say to us, do you have the gut feeling there's something fundamentally wrong in the financial world that we live in? Yeah. And if the answer is, is yes, you need to read this book and you need to check out this website, right? And so this this advisor out in Eastern Canada, he he reached out and he just, we just struck up a little chat conversation on Facebook and it was very refreshing. And I said, yeah, you got to, Make sure, you, you know, we're talking to Carlos today. We're having an interview with him on our podcast. We're so excited. And so just seeing that circle tighten and, and people gravitate to it is, uh, it's, it warms my heart. And it's just such a wonderful thing as we look to foster growth and development with the advisor community mm-hmm. and help them discover Nelson's message. Yeah, and I, I don't know uh, uh, if I should share this part, but I guess I'll go ahead. and You know, there for a while, Nelson was worried about what we were doing uh, with the practitioner program because we we were complaining, uh, Bob and I and, and David were saying, you know, I don't know, some of these people are trying to come on. I'm not sure they're they're with us, you know. I'm not sure they really are doing this for the right purpose, and uh, uh, it's almost like they're they're just they're just trying to be salesmen, you mm-hmm. know. And you know, of course, this is not about sales. It really isn't. I mean, it's all involved in there, but this is not what it's about. Right. And it was actually uh, Nelson's idea that when he came up with the idea, well, we need to, we we need to, you know, interview these people 
and they they need we don't we don't want to take their money until they go through the interview right and and so once we made that change over things started to change in the right way yeah and very seldom do we get people that we you know we just want to turn down a lot of these people are already very familiar with what we do and over and over again they will say uh, yes, I know I could go over here to this guy and I, hear, I heard him on this show or I, I saw this on this uh, YouTube video and he seems to know how to do IBC and everything. And But they, they say, but why would I want to go there? I would want to go to the source. And and we see, we hear that now a lot. Right. They want to go to the source. They don't want some someone that is not even mentioning Nelson Nash, you know, or anything like that. So these, these changes um, have, have come about in, in recent years and they're getting stronger. I'll share with you, Carlos, that, you know, even with our own journey in learning and growing and remembering Nelson and him always saying that the more that you see this process, the more you'll see you didn't see. And he, he was so, he was so accurate because when Richard and you, you can relate to this, when we first started attending the annual infinite banking think tank symposium, we were attending prior to the creation of the Institute, prior to the creation of the practitioner program. And those meetings were very heavily focused on how do you position, how do you best position life insurance contracts with prospective clients in the marketplace? It was all primarily sales tactic focused. And that was really the, you know, the primary thing that people were, were going there and excited about to learn. How can I, how can I sell more life insurance? And for myself in, in my own journey, learning more about Austrian economics, learning more about the process what really started to have an impact on me, Carlos, was hearing more and more advisors focusing more and more on the product and not the process. And that really began to impact me because, and Richard, you can attest to this. We had, you know, you'll remember this conversation that we had where I said, I am really feeling like we need to do something about this, that we need to change the way that we're messaging. We need to really make sure that people understand the problem before we start discussing the solution, that we make sure that we're in every advisor interaction that we have, that we're encouraging that advisor to move away from being product focused, move away from comparing an insurance product to some other financial instrument out there and really emphasize learning about the process because once you do that your thinking changes i i'm living proof of it we can sell life insurance contracts all day long but we don't want to work with people who do not have an understanding of this process and why ibc is the solution and so carlos like you and bob have had i think more of an impact than than you may realize because there was a lot of resistance because it was change. And we mm. all know the human condition as it relates to change. And once people started to break down those, those resistance barriers and just opened up their, their minds to learning something new and to looking at this from a completely different vantage point, 
everything began to change. Honest to goodness. And it's, it's just been incredible. And I've been consuming uh, books that Bob has, has authored. And we, we've been talking about how can we learn more about the, the Austrian economics and what, what additional education can we immerse ourselves in? Because the more we see it, the more we see we didn't see. And so thank you, Carlos. Thank you for being an inspiration to us. We, we appreciate you very much. I, I agree. And I want to expand on that one little bit. And, and, and something you said really spoke to me, Jason. So thinking back to the last time I spent with Nelson at his house in his den, and you'll remember this, Carlos, he has that, uh, that table, that, that low <laughs> table, big, thick kind of like wood table. And that, that big circle table was just stacked full of books and every book was at least an inch thick if not two yeah and every book had post-its and stickies and bookmarks in it and you there wasn't a square inch on the table that you could barely set a coffee cup down and here's this fella at 88 year 88 revolutions around the sun as he would say and he's consuming this information and this content his voracious appetite to learn had never waned in any format and a lot of that was around history and economics it was something he was very passionate about but the reality is he was passionate about it because it had to do with how we frame and educate people about, about insurance, about IBC and everything at fa- the foundational levels. And so it took me a while to recognize that importance. And I didn't know what Austrian economic was until I read Nelson's book. I certainly didn't know about infinite banking until I read it. And, and, and so that cracked open a door wide open for a learning process for me that I didn't even know I would be interested in. And I, I've become so interested in it. So the exposure to these ideas I think is so powerful. And as people begin to delve further down, we have people already interested in Austrian economics. Now they're learning about a solution that was presented to them. We have people who are learning about the solution and now they're opening a gateway into Austrian economics. That that marriage of meeting people at these two different locations, I think is really going to help grow and build the 10% up in a unique way. And and I think that the work that you and Bob are doing and, and working with David in continuity um, carrying on with Nelson and, and from his messaging is, is it's so core to what needs to happen for what we're up to. Yeah. And you're right. Nelson uh, was reading all the time and uh, he was send he would send me books. And just like you said, there were these gigantic tunes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and uh, I, you know, I, I would tell him, I said, oh, I don't even know where I'm going to get to this one. <laughs> you know, but he said, well, you just put it in there and get it. He said, you need to read that book. <laughs> so that's how he was. And But but he himself loved reading and he liked reading the right kind of material, too, and not just junk. So um, he was a, he was a, just a well, and he. <laughs> he would uh, he would quiz you about it too. So uh, Richard, yeah. we've experienced that too. We've gotten those care packages from Nelson, and it would be a yeah. book, and inside the book there'd be a little handwritten note that would read, "I thought you might get some value from this. Let's talk about it once you've read it." And then you know when you'd hop on the phone, right, and just connect with him, and he would say, "Hey, how's the how's the book coming along that I sent to you?" And and if you if you have you know dived into it, he would say let me expand a little bit on that. And then he, gosh, you'd be on the phone with him for two hours and he'd be sharing all of his insights from the book and why he felt it was important for you to read it. And it stayed true to, there's no such thing as having arrived in knowledge. There's always something new to learn. And and if you feel like you've arrived, it's all downhill from there. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Carlos, this, this uh, is a perfect timing for the question. 
could you share with our listeners uh, your fondest memory of Nelson? Oh, wow. <clears throat> well, i tell you one, one thing. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, he, he was an individual that, uh, he was a kind individual, but he was very um, forceful. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you ever spoke to some of his family members, they would tell you, just how forceful he was, <laughs> and he was. And uh, I've got sort of a bent myself to be that way. And I was uh, closest to, to Nelson than, than Bob and David, and ter- not closest, I'm talking in terms of age. And uh, uh, I'm not afraid to say that Nelson and I sometimes would get into some pretty heated debate debates and he would not be budged and I would not be budged. But you know, what I really liked about Nelson is that it never, if we had a, I wouldn't call it a quarrel, but if we disagreed very strongly on something, it wouldn't last more than a day that he would be calling back and apologizing and I would wind up doing the same thing. I would call him and I'd apologize. Right. And he, and he did that to me, you know, where I would apologize and, and he, he, he would apologize to me. So I grew to love him tremendously because he was like that. And, um, he remained that way all the way up until the end. He was just a, a very special individual in many, many kind of ways, but he was definitely a very strong believer. And, uh, you know, he knew exactly where he was going and he wasn't afraid to go there. And uh, obviously when, when he, when he, uh, when he called me just a few days before he actually passed away, I, I, I still remember, I can't forget it. I, I still remember just how strong his voice was when I, when I finally, you know, picked up the phone. See, I thought it was David that was calling me to let, to tell me that Nelson had passed away Mm. because he had gotten very ill after the think tank, you know, that, that that last one, he got very ill and um, he was having all kinds of issues. Uh, Couldn't walk sometimes. And uh, he was, he was uh, taking, um, some very strong, powerful medicine just to keep him awake uh, and alert. Um, And so um, we knew that the end was coming. And uh, that one day when he called, you know how sometimes you hear that people just before they're ready to die, that they somehow they kind of wake up and come around looks like they're getting better you know yeah. it was that kind of a feeling when he called because i couldn't believe how how strong his voice was and uh but he, you know he had called basically to tell me that he was leaving yeah, that, was, that was a very strong language that he put there yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what he said carlos i'm i'm leaving and uh i mean what can you say? Somebody tells you that, you know, 
I tried to joke with him. So I said, Nelson, you've been trying to tell me you're going to die for years. You haven't died. You died yet. That's what I was But he said, no, Carlos, this is it. He said, uh, I am leaving. And he even went as far as to say, it'll either be today or tomorrow. And sure enough, it happened two days later. Um, but as I've shared with uh, with all of our practitioners uh, at the Think Tank, and I'll share it with your audience if it's okay. But Absolutely. I mean, basically, yeah. uh, he gave he gave us all a message in that you know, when he said uh, he said whatever you do, you have to keep this thing going. Amen. He, he kept saying, "You have a job to do." So and get to work. He started all of us. Not <laughs> just talking to me. He's talking to all of us. You got a job to do. Now finish it, is what he said. Finish it. So it's a very fond memory I have of that uh, and what it, what it means and what it's done. And as we've been talking, how well and strong things are going. I mean, I mean, truly. Our business is booming right now. Everybody wants IBC. That's very true. It's a wonderful yeah. thing. It's very true. And, you know, we, we always, uh, of course, you know, give, give credit to Nelson and um, our listeners. Uh, we, we receive feedback all the time to say, you know, we, we, feel, we feel as though we know him. <laughs> like, we've watched the documentary. We've listened to these podcasts. We've read all this material. And we feel like we've got a glimpse into the essence of him. And, uh, you know, we all, all three of us included, I mean, we, uh, we think about him and we miss him every day. And, you know, I, I just, again, I really truly feel that the emphasis on the process, the emphasis on, on understanding the problem is so important for our listeners because as Nelson, again, would always say that if you don't understand the problem, the solution just won't matter anyway. And so for, for our listeners, we would encourage you to do uh, a few things. We would encourage you to uh, be sure to get your hands on a copy of uh, bo both books, How Privatized Banking Really Works and The Case for IBC. This is a wonderful read. And speaking of this particular book, Carlos, what key message would you want readers to take away from The Case for IBC? Oh, well, it's all about cash flow. That's primarily the main thrust of uh, what I was trying to say in that book, that it, it is, this is cash flow. It's a cash flow system. And the reason I picked that one, uh, Jason, is because cash flow is what resonates with business owners. It's the lifeblood of a business. Yeah, it sure that's is. Right. Now, the, the, the employee doesn't as much. But if you mention cash flow to business owners, they know what that is and they, and they relate to it. And so the problem with business owners is that they've always got their cash tied up somewhere else, you know, and in, in the wrong places. But uh, uh, that, that was the main uh, thrust of, of the case for IBC in, in, in my way of looking at it. And that's probably why we let off with that discussion in the first chapter we were talking about the business owner, yeah. and uh, of course we we expanded on on that and took it all the way up to 
some of the, the, the problems that we have to deal with in order to, to solve, uh, you know, the, the solution, but uh, get to the solution. But uh, I would say that's, that's what I would say is the, the main problem for that particular book is, uh, is that it most resonates with business, businessmen, mm. business owners. <clears throat> awesome. Awesome. Richard, any any uh, parting any parting remarks? Anything that uh, you would like to share, based on our, our amazing conversation with Carlos today? Well, you know, uh, just to reiterate and encourage our listeners, um, and and for having them recognizing that the board of directors in the Nelson Nash Institute is a is a powerful organization, and it's here to stay. And together, as practitioners who are authorized, um, you know, from that that institution we are looking to create and effect uh, impactful change in the world in the way that Carlos identified. Yep. And so we would encourage you to check out their website, get familiar with what the 10% is all about, have a clear understanding of that. Um, read these works that are recommended there, Nelson's recommended reading list, etc. And make sure you tune in to the Lara Murphy podcast because the types of content and conversation that uh, Carlos and Bob have on that is, is fantastic. And it's focused on the marriage between Austrian economics and infinite banking. And so as an infinite banker, as a, as a practitioner in your own life, and your own business, you really need to be learning from these sources and, and bringing them into your world. And then as Nelson would say, you'd have to uh, ruminate on it, you know, think, think upon it because it's through that thinking that you kind of come up with new ideas about how we can move forward to the next step and integrate more into your own life. So Carlos, I really appreciate you being here. I know Jason and I would love to have you back again in a future episode. I think our listeners will get a ton of value out of it. And uh, I just want to also thank you for your messaging uh, as well uh, on everything. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate both of you a lot. You're, you're very special people to me, both of you. Thank you, Carlos. Likewise. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in again to another episode of Wealth Without Bay Street. Please be sure if you're on the YouTubes, if you're on the uh, the Facebooks, the social media platforms, uh, take a moment to uh, smash the like button. Um, leave us a comment. Let us know if you've uh, got some value out of this episode and check the show notes, all the links to all the great reading material, the podcast, the Lara Murphy report, etc., will all be included in the show notes. And you can absolutely expect us to have Carlos back again. We're going to do a bit of a deeper dive into Carlos's contribution to the case for IBC because there's some incredible material there, especially as it relates to our business owner listeners. And uh, it's going to be amazing. So thank you so much again. And we wish you and yours an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, where your wealth matters. Be sure to check out our social media channels for more great content. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and be sure to rate the show. We definitely appreciate it. And don't forget to share this episode with someone you care about. Join us on the next episode where we continue to uncover the financial tools, strategies, and the mindsets that maximize your wealth.